Good morning, Ramp Church, and happy Easter. It is such a joy for me to be able to come together and study the Word of God together on just this huge Sunday, maybe the biggest Sunday of the whole year. And I've got to start off just being honest. As a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher, a teacher, it's kind of intimidating to actually share the Word of God on Easter Sunday because it is so huge and there's so much you want to talk about. You want to talk about resurrection. You want to talk about salvation. You want to talk about all these wonderful themes that are so crucial to the message of the gospel. And sometimes it's hard to just narrow it down and focus on one. But as I was prayerfully considering just Lord, what direction do you have for Ramp Church Manchester? This verse came to my mind out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. We're going to start with that verse this morning, and then from there, do something kind of unusual, maybe for an Easter Sunday service. We're going to go from one verse and look at two other pretty substantial passages that talk about the theme of resurrection. Now, the reason that's unusual is usually, you know, within a preach or a teaching, you take one major passage, look at it, and then support it with other smaller scriptures. But this time, we're going to go in reverse. We're going to use one smaller scripture, and then from there, look at two pretty large passages to really build the idea of what I believe God wants to say to us today on this wonderful Easter Sunday. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now there's a lot going on in this verse, just like other verses in the Bible. It is packed full of theological information. It is dense in its message and what it's saying to us. And I love how it ends because it ends talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a very appropriate Easter theme. But if you look just before that, the apostle Peter is describing to us one of the results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says, you have been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it means a lot in our lives. But one of the things that it means is that you and I, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have within our DNA a living hope. And I use that word DNA very intentionally because the Apostle Peter didn't just say that we have a living hope. He said, you've been begotten again to a living hope. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you were born again by the Spirit of God, now hope is not just something you aspire to have. It's not just a quality that may shape your outlook. It becomes a part of the very fabric of your nature. It becomes a part of the very fabric of who you are. You have been begotten again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me talk to you just for a moment about my personal relationship with this word hope. I'm not sure what your reaction is to it, but my reaction is kind of complicated. I particularly, just to be honest, don't like the word hope. It feels a little shallow to me. Sometimes it feels a little naive. It feels a little like wishful thinking or ungrounded optimism. There's something about the word hope that just kind of, you know, it rubs me the wrong way. And so when I read this and I see that Peter expects us to have 
hope as a part of our DNA as Christians, it makes me say, okay, well, what is it about hope that I'm missing? What is it about the idea of hope that is still shaped by the world's view of hope and is not shaped by hope in the Christian biblical sense. And as I've begun to think about that and challenge my own relationship with the idea of hope, it's brought me to this conclusion that one of the reasons why I have had this sort of standoffish relationship with hope is because I've not been looking at hope through the lens of Christian hope. You see, Christian hope is not like the world's hope. The world's hope is a cheap hope that tries to deny the reality of pain and just, you know, hope for the best. Christian hope, though, is not cheap hope or shallow hope. Christian hope is resurrection hope. What does it mean to have resurrection hope? Resurrection hope does not deny the reality of pain. Resurrection hope embraces the reality of pain. It embraces the bitterness of death and it weeps at the grave. And in the middle of weeping at the grave, something surprising happens. God gets involved, not in spite of the tears, but in midst of the tears, and he begins to birth something new on the inside of us. So let's look at this resurrection-based hope through the story of Easter. I'm gonna to go to John chapter 20, and you can go there with me as well. Of course, each gospel account has a description of the resurrection, the first Easter that ever happened. But I like especially John's account of the resurrection because of the way it describes Mary Magdalene and her activity at the tomb. So we're going to start in John chapter 20, verse number one. And like I said earlier, we're going to read a pretty good ways down all the way to verse number 18. So here's what it says in John chapter 20, starting in verse one. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, Peter and John, they leave the tomb, they see it's empty, they're not quite sure what to think about it. But Mary, the one who first discovers the empty tomb, runs to get Peter and John. When they leave, she doesn't leave, she stays. And what does she do in this place of lingering at the garden tomb of Jesus? Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Just a wonderful, powerful account of the resurrection of Jesus and Mary Magdalene's encounter with him at the tomb. But before you get to that wonderful moment where Jesus says Mary and calls her by name, first you've got to go backwards because again, this hope of hearing God call us by name and changing our world, you don't arrive at that kind of resurrection hope where everything changes simply by going from, you know, an expectation that God may do something immediately into the God doing something. You actually go first through a process of pain. Before Mary hears Jesus call her name, first she experiences the prolonged disappointment of not being able to find Jesus. And before that, she experiences Peter and John just leaving her, her there at the tomb. But before that, she experienced waking up early on Sunday morning, not knowing what she was going to find. And even before that, she has to endure that whole day that we refer to on the church calendar as Holy Saturday, where the events of Good Friday are still fresh in her mind. She wakes up hoping that it was all just a dream, only to realize this gnawing pain and disappointment are consuming me. And before she experienced the disappointment of Holy Saturday, she was there on Good Friday watching Jesus being crucified. And for her, it wasn't just that this potential national leader is dying. For her, it was much more personal. We learn from other places in the Gospels that Jesus had previously cast out seven demons out of Mary. She was addicted. She was in bondage. She was in pain. She was filled with sin. But one encounter with Jesus changed everything. So when she is looking at Jesus hanging on the cross, it has a high degree of personal pain for her. And all of this takes her to the place where she is standing in the garden weeping these tears of pain. And this idea of Mary weeping is not just brushed over by John, it's repeated again and again and again, that Mary was weeping at the tomb. The angels come and they ask her, why are you weeping? Jesus comes and asks her, why are you weeping? And over and over and over, it's emphasized that Mary has tears in her eyes just before things shift in her life and she experiences the joy of resurrection. And though there's a lot to say about resurrection, here's what I want to emphasize. Christian hope does not deny that you go through seasons of weeping or seasons of pain. Christian hope embraces those tears. And it is on the other side of those tears that we find the power of resurrection resonating most deeply in our hearts. Now, before I make a few more applications, let's go to one more passage that talks about resurrection. This time, not the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of a friend of Jesus. His name is Lazarus. So I'm gonna go to John chapter 11, I invite you to go there with me as well. And this time I won't quite read the whole passage. I'm just gonna emphasize a few of the key points 
of this account of resurrection. Again, not the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of Lazarus through Jesus. So let's begin in John chapter 11, verse number one. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick, which is a pretty powerful statement. In other words, when we go through difficulty, trial, and pain that seems hopeless, it does not mean that God doesn't love us. They recognize that Lazarus was in a dire situation, but they also recognize he was still loved by Jesus. And then it goes on to say this, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but that the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. So he's saying, this sickness that Lazarus has, it will not be unto death, or it's not going to end in death, but it's going to result in the glory of God. Now, keep that in your minds, and let's go to verse number 17, because between verse number four, where Jesus says this sickness is not unto death, and verse number 17, Lazarus actually dies. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now let's skip down just a few more verses to verse number 33. Mary comes out of the house the way Martha did. Jesus sees her weeping and pain, and he doesn't stay indifferent to it. So let's pick up in verse number 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse number 35, very famous verse, but a very profound verse. Jesus wept. Now the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man Lazarus from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. 
Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Another stunning moment of resurrection, which I love because the resurrection of Jesus teaches us a lot, and this resurrection of Lazarus teaches us a lot as well about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. But again, this hope is not a shallow, cheap, worldly hope that denies pain. The Christian hope is a resurrection hope that walks through pain and sees it transformed into something different. Now, can you imagine just for a moment the pain that Martha and Mary were in the confusion that the disciples were in. We just looked at the pain that Mary Magdalene was in in John chapter 20, where the man who set her free was now being crucified. The disciples leave her at the tomb weeping. She doesn't know what to do until there's the encounter with Jesus. Martha and Mary, they're confused about why Jesus didn't show up. And a lot of times the pain of the, the pain that the Christian hope of resurrection answers is not always or exclusively the pain of death. Sometimes it's just the pain of questions. God, where are you? I thought this would be over by now. I thought things would have shifted in my life. And Martha and Mary are dealing with those questions. Jesus knew that our brother was sick. Jesus loved our brother. He was a friend. We hosted Jesus in our home. Why hasn't he shown up yet? Or why is he showing up late? They're dealing with all of that pain. Furthermore, the disciples must be confused because Jesus said to them, the sickness of Lazarus Lazarus is not unto death. And they got to be thinking to themselves, you said he wouldn't die, but he's dead. And the deeper reality is that Jesus actually didn't say that Lazarus won't die. He actually said, this is not unto death. In other words, this will not end in death. But Jesus never said it wouldn't go through death. Sometimes as Christians, in order to embrace hope, we feel like we can't walk through prolonged seasons of pain because that would somehow be anti the hope that is intrinsic to our Christian experience. But the reality again is that Christian hope doesn't always keep us from pain. Many times, Christian hope is what sustains us through pain. That's certainly true in the case of Lazarus. It's not that he didn't have to walk through death. It's simply that his story would not end in death. So the disciples are confused. I'm sure Martha and Mary are in pain, but I love even just this faintest glimmer of hope that Martha says to Jesus. She comes out and she's got questions. She almost has accusations. If you had been here, everything would have been different, but she includes two little phrases in her discussion with Jesus. She says, but even now, those two words, even now, even though I'm in pain, even though I'm confused, even though I don't know what to do, I still believe that you can take this situation and turn something that is horrific into something beautiful. And I think that's a prayer we all need to adopt. It's a prayer we all need to put into our vocabulary and into our minds. That when I'm walking through pain and difficulty in a prolonged sense, longer than I ever thought I would experience that, 
Even now, even here in the middle of all of this difficulty, God can still do something beautiful that brings him glory. And those two little words, even now, became a seed of faith that God could use to bring resurrection. So we've been talking a lot about this idea of hope. Christian hope is resurrection hope. But let's ask one more question before we tie this up. What is hope? We've talked about it. We've described it cheap hope. We've given the context for resurrection hope. What is hope? It's very simple. Hope is the simple belief that things can change. And that fundamental belief, things can change, according to the Apostle Peter, it is intrinsic to our DNA. Again, it's not a denial of difficulty. It's not a denial of pain. It is not a stiff upper lip that holds back tears and never allows any other emotion other than optimism. No, it is a core belief that in the middle of pain, I still believe that things can change. Why do you need to embrace that kind of hope, resurrection hope, Easter hope, the hope that changed Mary's tears of pain into tears of rejoicing on the first Easter? Why do we need to embrace that kind of hope? Because in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 19, it describes hope as the anchor of the soul. And the writer of Hebrews is asking us basically to envision our lives like a ship at sea. A ship at sea needs several things. It needs sails, right? It needs a rudder, but it also needs an anchor. Why? What happens to a ship when it doesn't have an anchor? When a ship doesn't have an anchor, it becomes vulnerable to external elements. When a ship doesn't have an anchor, all of a sudden, the current can determine its course rather than the captain determining its course. The wind and the waves and the storms can take it off course and blow it into depths that it never intended to be in. So when the writer of Hebrews says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, it's telling us that there is one thing that will keep you stabilized in the midst of life's storms. The one thing that keeps you stabilized is the anchor of Hope. When you're going through difficulty, you cannot abandon the idea. You cannot abandon the idea, I know this is difficult, but things can change. I don't know how they're going to change. I don't know when they're going to change. But the Bible teaches me that because of the resurrection of Jesus, I now have within my DNA a living hope, not a dead hope, not a static hope, a living hope, a hope that is growing, a hope that is speaking, a hope that is waking me up in the morning and say, don't forget to believe that in the middle of your pain, things can change. When you believe that things can change in your life and in the world around you, it stabilizes you in the middle of the storms and it causes you to remain steadfast. Now, let's think about it in the reverse. If hope is the anchor of the soul, what does it look like to live hopeless? Well, it looks like to live without an anchor. If you ever begin to battle a hopelessness in your life or a hopelessness in regard to the things that you're praying about, you begin to lose that stabilizing force that 
keeps you steadfast in the middle of difficulty. When you think about hope as the anchor of the soul, you begin to realize that hope is not just a nice Christian idea or an optimistic idea. Hope is a matter of life and death. Very sadly, and I say this with a lot of sobriety in my heart, very sadly, people take their lives every single day. Why? Because they lost the anchor of hope and the storms in their lives took them into places that God never called them to be. If hope is the simple belief that things can change, then what is hopelessness? Hopelessness is this sort of resignation that nothing's ever going to change. And when people stop believing that things can change, all of a sudden, hopelessness overcomes them and they end up in the depths of despair that shipwrecks not only their faith, but also their lives. We must hold to the anchor of the soul, which is hope. And where does hope come from? According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, that hope comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let's ask one more question. Why does hope come from the resurrection of Jesus? What is it about resurrection that causes hope to be born within our hearts? Well, we have this saying here in the United States. Maybe you have it there in England. There are only two certainties in life. Death and taxes, right? Like we know those two things are going to happen. There's going to be death at some point. There's going to be taxes. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, he took the one certainty in life because taxes, you know, whatever, they fluctuate up and down. So that's kind of maybe not as certain as death. Death comes to everyone. But Jesus took the one certainty in life, death, and he destroyed its certainty. And if this seemingly unchangeable thing, death, if that seemingly unchangeable thing could all of a sudden change out of nowhere, that means anything else in my life can change. If Jesus overcame the power of death, he can overcome anything else. So what I want to do to just end this Easter message today is I simply want to pray with you a prayer that the Apostle Paul gives us in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15 is, I believe, the chapter right around verse number 13, somewhere right in there. And so here's what he prays in Romans chapter 15. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing as you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love several things about this verse, several things about this prayer. Number one, he refers to God as the God of hope. Again, what is hope? Hope is a simple belief that things can change. It's not a denial of pain. It's not a denial of death. It embraces the tears that come with reality, but in the middle of those tears, it still believes that things can be different than they are right now. And the Bible calls God the God of hope, which means that God still believes that things can change. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that when God looks at you, he's not hopeless. When God looks at your family, he's not hopeless. When God looks at your community or your neighborhood or your nation, he is not hopeless. God still believes that things can change. He is the God of hope. He doesn't deny the difficulty that's in front of you right now, but he has a deeper belief that that difficulty is only temporary, but the change that is coming, it will be eternal. So Paul is praying and he refers to God as the God of 
hope. Then he describes some of the byproducts of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Beautiful byproducts from God being the God of hope. That when we realize that our God is the God of hope, it gives us joy and peace and then we're able to believe. But then he ends with this phrase, and may you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, which communicates to me that true Christian hope, resurrection hope, Easter hope, it doesn't come from any kind of natural optimism. Paul said that you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. True Christian hope is supernatural hope. It doesn't make sense to the world. It's not built on natural cause and effect. That's not where our hope comes from. Our hope rests in the power of God and it's provoked in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is unusual, it is supernatural, and it is different. And that's why the Apostle Peter told us later in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is on the inside of you. In other words, he's saying your hope ought to be so unusual as a Christian that people ask you about it. When is the last time somebody asked you, about your hope, because that's the kind of hope you're called to have within your heart. So I've said a lot, we've looked at a lot of verses, two longer passages, forgive me for that, and one shorter verse right there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number three. What I simply wanna do is end, like I said earlier, by praying together that we would all this Easter experience the supernatural hope that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit and that is actually already within our hearts by being born again. That that hope that sometimes we have quieted because of our own dis disappointment and pain, that God would reawaken that hope. That it would once again become a living hope that speaks to us and reminds us that things can change. So Father, I thank you this morning for each person watching this in Ramp Church in Manchester or any guest that is watching it. That they may not even be a part of a home church yet. They're just beginning their faith journey. I thank you that the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, Lord, that that good news, it awakens hope on the inside of us. That things that seem as though they cannot change, they can change. And we, have, we are confident of that because, Father, you raised your son Jesus from the dead. And the one thing that looked like it was absolutely certain, death, all of a sudden became uncertain. And because of your mercy, because of your power, we now believe that anything in our lives, it can change. And so Father, I pray what the Apostle Paul did in Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing as we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.